of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously, then will I stretch out mine hand upon it, and will break the staff of the bread thereof, and will send famine upon it, and will cut off man and beast from it. Verse 14 is one of our text verses. Let's read it together. Ready? Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. If I cause noisome beasts to pass through the land, and they spoil it so that it be desolate, that no man may pass through because of the beast. Verse number 16, read it with me, please. Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughters, they only shall be delivered, but the land shall be desolate. Or if I bring a sword upon, the, that, upon that land and say, sword, go through the land so that I cut off man and beast from it. Verse 18 is another text for us. Read it together, please. Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters, but they only shall be delivered themselves. Or if I send a pestilence into the land and pour out my fury upon it in blood to cut off, man, cut off from it man and beast. In verse 20 is our last verse. Let's read it together. Ready? Though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter. They shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. I've entitled, I have two title messages. The short, short title is simply these three men, verse 14, verse 17, or verse uh, 16, rather, verse 18, and verse number 20. Let's ask God's blessing. Heavenly Father, now in the moments that we have, Spirit of God, I have a lot of material that I'd like to say, but Lord, just, uh, Lord, help me with my words tonight. The Lord might say what needs to be said this evening. Teach us from this passage of Scripture present truth, and we'll thank you for it. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I want to give you the condition of Israel at this time of Ezekiel 14. The chronology, according to Usher, the chronologist is 591 B.C. That's important that you know your timeline. And, uh, of course, Israel is under, they're under subjugation by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, the king of Babylon, he came in in 605 B.C. 605 was the Battle of Carchemish with Egypt, a very famous battle in, Amer in, in, in world history, of course. And uh, Israel became subjugated. They became a puppet kingdom at this point. They had a second, uh, there were three what's called deportations. The second one was in 597 B.C. And the third last one was in 586 B.C., this year is 591 B.C., so we see the chronology. Then we, just for the moment, understand the condition. Ezekiel was part of the 597 deportation. In other words, Ezekiel was taken several hundred miles from his homeland, from Jerusalem. He prophesied outside the land by the river Kibar there in the Babylonian Empire, of course. And he's outside the land. His contemporary, Jeremiah, was inside the land within Jerusalem, in fact, within the city gates. Imprisoned several times, most of you know the story. If you're having read through Jeremiah, you know what I'm referring to. So Jeremiah prophesied within Jerusalem, right within the gates. And, uh, but Ezekiel prophesied a few hundred miles away in Babylonian captivity. The length of this captivity, of course, this Babylonian captivity I'm referring to, 
began in 606 or 605 B.C. and went to 536 B.C., 70 years. And so this would make, if this Ezekiel 14 is 591, obviously I did the math for us, so it's 55 years remaining of captivity. How many are, no hands needed, how many are under 55 years of age? This is longer than your lifespan. If you're 55, if you're over 55, which some of us are, 55 years for anyone, in your 70s or 80s or 90s, in our experience of time, is a long time. 55 years, over half a century. This is what they have to look forward to, is this captivity. And I want you to know, we looked at the chronology, the condition, the, the length of captivity, but then the absolute corruption that was in it was in the land of Judah or Israel or the southern kingdom what was left of it. If we were to take the time to look at verses 1 to 13, we will not, or 1 to 11, we will find out there was wholesale, bald-faced idolatry. Verse 7 of our text will summarize it. Look what it says. It says, For every one of the house of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn in Israel, all the imports, all the immigrants, which separateth himself from me, and setteth up his idols in his heart. You know, pardon me, I just I said immigrant, just for the record. We we got a million immigrants come in our country every year. This is Sunday night, I can just say it point blank. Why we let Muslims in our country, I don't know. They have a, they have a different God than the God that we trust in. That is very good preaching, by the way, again. We have no business letting them in. They have an agenda. They want to overthrow the world with their with the jihad. That's a fact. And God says, not only the people of Israel, but the strangers. He goes on to say, that setteth up his idols in his heart, and putteth a stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and cometh to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me. I, the Lord, will answer him by myself. And then he's going to answer, he says, I will set my face against that man. and make him a sign and a proverb, and I will cut him off, etc. Verse 8, and the rest of the chapter deals with this. This absolute wholesale corruption. God said in the parallel passage of Scripture, we won't take the time to turn there, but, but uh, four verses in Jeremiah, the, the correlating prophets in, within the land, chapter of Jeremiah 7, 16, 11, 14, 14, 11. God said four times actually, he said, pray not for this people. He said, don't even think about praying for them. Don't even do that. If you pray for them, let me quote you one verse. God says, pray not for this people, for I will not hear them in the time that they cry out to me in their trouble. There's coming a day when men will cry out to the Lord and God will not hear their prayer. That day is coming in some people's lives, I believe it's already there, current, right now, and present. God says, I will not hear their prayer. God says, don't waste your breath, prophets. Don't even pray for these people. Now, that's not a mad preacher saying that. That's not a tired preacher saying that. That's God Almighty saying that. And he, so the corruption and apostasy of God's chosen people was so extensive that here in our text, four times, verse 14, 16, 18, and 20, God says, and I paraphrase, even if Noah, even if Daniel, and even if Job were around today, and by the way, Daniel was, was, a, was a young man at this time and already considered great by God in the prophets. He was the only current. The other two, of course, had died many hundreds of years before. 
But Noah, Daniel, Daniel, and Job, even if they pray or intercede for this people, the Lord said in essence, he said, I will not hear. I will not hear their prayer. And so he says he's going to give great judgment. I want to, so I said I have two titles to my message. The title, easy, easy title is These Three Men. We see these three men three times in our text here, uh, starting in verse 14, These Three Men. But my elongated title is this. Winning souls in the, as in the days of Noah, Daniel, and Job. Winning souls, let's bring it to our current day time, in 2018, as with Noah. The Bible says, as in the days of Noah, so shall also be in the coming of the, days of, shall be in the, coming of the, uh, the Son of Man. The Lord said in Matthew 24, when the Lord comes, will he find faith on the earth? Folks, I've been at this thing of preaching and pastoring for a little while now, a little while at least, not too long, but 30-some years. And I don't say this as a, in a way of discouragement, I just say this as a statement of fact. It is as hard, and I have a lot of, do have a number of pastor friends I'm thankful for, a number of veteran pastor friends, some that have pastored longer than I have. I talked to Pastor Guy Goodell, he's been pastoring nearly 60 years now. I talked to him this last week up in Glens Falls, uh, New York. 40 years he's been there. And before that, he was in Kentucky for a number of years, built a great church there. And it's harder today in the ministry than ever before. 2018, it's harder to build a church than it was in 1988, I promise you. It's a different day. What's happening? We're living in desperate times. The Bible says, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall what? Wax cold. The Bible says that there'll be coming, there's coming a lay of the sea and age, a day of lukewarmness. I think we're there in a church. I think I don't have time to go down this rabbit trail, but I believe that, listen, we're trying to market Christianity in so many different ways now. We're trying to, because the old ways don't work any longer, so we're going to Sunday morning only services. We're going to throw off the suits and ties because they're no, no fun to wear anyhow, and I want to do that myself, and I touched on it this morning, but I probably won't do it. Not that there's anything wrong with it. But we're trying to do everything we can to accommodate. We're trying to be salesmen and not prophets, Brother Palmer said this morning in we're trying to uh, make the, the gospel palpable. And, and uh, this late scene age, it's, it's getting worse and worse. And that's why the Lord says when he comes, will he find faith on the earth? So tonight here, in just a few minutes that we have for each here, and I know all of you are familiar with all three of these biblical Old Testament characters, real people. I want you to consider these three men and note some Correlations to us today, 2018, in the earthly ministry God has blessed us with. And now, let me just interject and say this at the outset. You know, there's never been a more exciting time to really live for the Lord Jesus than right now. We're living in the last days. There is a positive side of this coin. And uh, we're, we're, waiting, we're waiting to hear the trump. I mean, these guys here, they were at the beginning, we're at the end. They were at the 1, 1 a.m. hour, 2 a.m. hour, 4 a.m. hour. We're at the 11.59 hour. We, uh, we are blessed in that respect. But I see some correlations. Let's think about and taking them in order. Verse number 14 again. These three men, God said, those, verse 14, though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, God had a high estimation of these three men. He said they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. Think of Noah for a minute here. 
In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, he's called a preacher of righteousness. God says that he spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Think of Noah and the, the 120 years. Can you imagine that? I mean, sometimes days can seem long to me. Weeks can seem long. Months and years can seem long. But Noah, he got commissioned by God, Noah, I want you to build an ark. You think about this. I mean, it's one of the most, got to be at the top three most amazing stories in all the Bible for sure. And I don't know what the top two are other than the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the, the birth of our Savior and the, 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 the life of Christ in himself. But you think about that commission that Noah was given as a younger man to build an ark. He was a young guy. I think he was 500 at the time. That was supposed to be funny, but anyhow. <laughs> young man. He, he began to build a boat. I mean, the man gather wood in the middle of the desert. And he, for 120 years, can you, we can't even start to wrap our heads around this. He begins to build this ocean freighter in a desert. I mean, he could have had to use some brains and at least, you know, build it, you know, on the, the shores of the Mediterranean or something. He builds it in a desert. Think about that. How, Noah, how are you going to haul it when you get it built? How are you going to pull it? You know, can you imagine the disdain, the mockery, the laughing, the crazy, they had to call him crazy Noah. He's been building that boat for 10 years now, 20 years, it's hysterical. You gotta go see it. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's, and he's just building and he says, and he's got one message. His message is judgment is coming. We got a message, judgment is coming. I was talking to somebody and I just Sidebar for just a moment here. You'd be, you think that everybody in Christianity knows about the rapture, about the next event on God's prophetic calendar. They, they don't. There are some so-called good churches right in our backyard. Ask me after the service, I'll tell you who we're talking about. They don't take a position on eschatology because it's too controversial. So I was just talking to one of their people not too long ago, just a few weeks ago as a matter of fact. They told me, I don't know, I, you know, and this is what they told me. A good person, by the way, loves the Lord, and they're, they're a believer in Christ, but they don't even know if, they think the Re Revelation was first century stuff. That's all first, that happened in the first century, that this rapture thing. They believed the rapture one time, that the Lord's coming back at any time, at any moment. They, they grew up in a, in a church that taught that, but now they question it. Now they say, you know, but that's, that's just not sophisticated. I said, oh, you couldn't be more wrong. Lord's coming back. Noah preached a message, and he preached a message for 120 years. Judgment is coming. The flood's coming. You're that crazy man. You tell your people at work, your friends at work, your relatives at work, Jesus is coming again. He's coming soon. He can, there's going to be a rapture, a catching away. They're going to look at you cross-eyed. They're going to say, they're going to, they're going to, some of them will secretly pity you for your pathetic craziness, for your brainwashing. This is what Noah had to endure for a hundred, or for over a century. Think about it. He preached, free from, flee from the wrath to come. He offered, 
I believe at the end, no doubt he was offering, like Jesus said, come ye apart and rest a while. Come unto me, all you that are weary every day, and I'll give you rest. There's, a, there's an ark. I've been to the ark in Kentucky. Let me tell you something. I, I've been to ocean freighters. I've, I've toured uh, battleships and, uh, and, and, uh, and uh, landing crafts. You put thousands of people on those boats. Thousands of people could have survived in that ark. But eight souls went in that ark. Noah, Mrs. Noah, three boys, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and three wives. That's what the Bible records. I often wondered, didn't the boys and uh, daughters-in-law have children? They must have had children, I don't know, but maybe they just, Grandpa is crazy. He's a nutcase. And maybe they, the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren, maybe something broke down in their family structure and they said, Sorry, my aunts and uncles and my grandma and grandpa, they're just crazy people. I love them, but they're just nuts. That's how people think of you and I, many people. Noah. God said in regards to these people in, in Ezekiel's day, he said, even if Noah prays, even if Noah intercedes for these people, I, I'm not going to hear What if we get to the point, and I, I don't think we're there, don't misunderstand me, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Brethren, my heart's prayer and desire for Israel that they might be saved. Uh, Paul, Romans 9, 1 and Romans 10, 1. Uh, Paul said, I have great heaviness in my heart for my brethren and my kinsmen in the flesh. So we need to have a heart for people. Some having compassion, making a difference, Jude says. But Noah preached this for 120 years and was mocked the whole time. Well, think with me for a few moments here. By the way, his ministry, let me just finish up, Noah, ten, one, one more minute and we'll move forward. I bet you a lot of times in his ministry he felt like a failure. I bet you a lot of times he said, what am I doing? I'm building this boat in the middle of the... And I like to think he was like Job that said, I know my Redeemer liveth. I know that God's word is true. And hopefully he never, never faltered from that mindset. But he, God, why just me? Why don't you give me some helpers? Give me some believers that believe, that believe in the same way and that let's build this boat, to get boat together and let's uh, save as many souls as possible. And again, seven souls would get on that boat. And the six, of, six of the seven were not exactly super saints as we've been talking about me and my real, me and my real families in the last several weeks of messages. I mean, consider, uh, you can't even preach this today because people think you're racist. But check out the curse of Ham. Whether you want to admit it or not, there's a curse of Ham. Now, I'll let you figure it out. You've got the Holy Spirit of God. You figure it out what the curse of Ham is. God says, I'm going to curse their generation, and curse the generation of Ham. Figure that out. I'm not telling you nothing. You know, just don't, don't, don't call me a racist. You just figure it out yourself. Then, so we have this Noah, even in his great success, and it was great success, I mean, he saved the world, all seven of them, in self eight. Replenish the earth, but to this day, people mock the story of Noah. <laughs> there was no real flood. Oh, come on. Noah, that's a fairy tale. 4,500 years later, they're still mocking it. Let them mock. God said, though these three men, Noah, God validates that Noah was a real man. But then he talks about Daniel. But let me skip to Job for, uh, well, just because. Job 1, I was going to turn there, but most of you know the story very well, so we'll just 
paraphrase. But in Job 1, 1, we read that Job was upright. He feared God and eschewed evil. He hated evil. He ran from evil. Verse 3 of chapter 1 says he was the greatest man of all the East. Verse 5, and I'm paraphrasing, says that he sought God uh, continually. And then the sons of man came, Satan came, sons of God came rather, and asked permission of God to tempt or test Job. And we know, most of us know the rest of the story. And this greatest man, this man that feared God, this man that was a saint, what we might call a super saint, this man that served God continually, this man that was godly, he was a rich man as well, God blessed him in great ways. Had a wonderful family. Maybe not all perfect, he sacrificed for him daily. He prayed for his own sons and daughters. And one day, the hand of, the, of Satan comes, comes across and destroys his family, kills his family. His, his uh, His, his health, his, and his, 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 his wealth, and then, of course, his health, and soon the confidence of his wife and closest friends. His wife said to him, I mean, Sonny and I, have, we, you know, we've been married 37 years now. She's, we've said some things to each other that we regret, we say, but she's never told me to curse God and die. That's pretty, pretty, that's pretty tough. When your wife says, just die. That's what Job's wife said to him. Boy, what a voice of encouragement. He lost so much. And of course, she just lost her 10 children. Let's be, I think it was Pastor Reuben Collins that talked about don't be too hard on Job's wife. She went through a lot too, of course, didn't she? But Job's three friends, see, with friends like Job's friends, who needs enemies, right? We know the story. And sometimes in the ministry, even our family, our friends, and our peers, are not a comfort, but critics. By the way, let me just run a small rabbit trail here, just for the record. I kind of, uh, I thank God for all the special speakers we've had, in, and I'll be a little generic here in the last few weeks here, but I just get a little nervous when pastors, or when preachers talk about they always build up the pastor like he's got it so rough. You guys got it rough too. You guys go to the trenches every day, some of you. You're on the front line. And, and you got to just, as, I, I just, I think it's, you know, we've been very careful we don't develop the Elijah complex. We got it so rough, everybody's out to get, get us. And by the way, God's, or rather, the enemies of God are try, out to get preachers, that's true. They're out to get you. He, the, that's the Warren Lyon walking about singing to me tomorrow. He wants to destroy you. You are important to this church, and all God's people said, Amen. yes, you are. Your neighbor's important. We lost Linda Young just for six months here, and just after 33 years, Linda's been with, the, uh, with us for all these many years. She's the last, I call her the teaser, the last Mohicans, last original five. Now she's gone. Well, for six months, be back this spring, Lord willing. And it's like, oh man, Linda, you're so, so valuable to this ministry. She was behind, she's always been a behind the scenes person, doing things that many people don't see the hundreds of hours that she's cleaned around this building. She used to do our finances, by the way, many, many years ago. Uh, done, done many things and still has 
well, we're on tape, I guess, but, uh, but I guess I can say it, but it's still, her husband's still not saved. All these years, Linda's been so faithful. Job was faithful all the way through. He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Sometimes when we want to get encouragement, we get criticized. And when things start to go wrong, people obviously say, something's obviously wrong, or this would not be happening. You've had that happen to you. I've had it happen to me. It's Sunday night. I'm just going to say it. I just, you know, we're, you know, our numbers are not near as large as we used to be a number of years ago. I'm not looking for, I'm just simply saying, I, I talked to, I'm tattling as I call it. I talked to Brother Phipps. He was at Berean Baptist Church, the great Berean Baptist Church in Rockford, Illinois, just two weeks ago on Sunday morning. I asked Pastor Mark Swanson, uh, I, I said, well, what did they have? They have a crowd of several hundred on Sunday morning. He says, I don't know, five, six, seven hundred? He says, oh, no, I don't think so. No, no, maybe, he said, maybe two, three hundred or so, maybe, maybe more than that. And he says, but well, he's a pretty good judge of crowds. Brigham Baptist Church is not the, the big church it used to be 20, 30 years ago. Churches all over America that can be said about Here's Job, he had this flourishing family, this financial business, everything was going wonderful, and then all of a sudden he loses everything. People say, there must be a problem that you have. God wouldn't allow this to happen if you didn't have sin in your life. And uh, you must have had failure. I want to remind you, when you start getting beat up, remember who the accuser of the brethren is. Remember who's out to accuse you. Night and day, the Bible says, Revelation 12. He beats you up. I get a little tired and I'm stepping over a little line here again here that I'm going to be careful about. I get a little bit tired. I don't want you to, and I, by the way, I've been guilty of it myself. I don't want to be guilty of beating you up. Guilting you. I want to be guilty. I want to be, yeah, you were guilty. Okay, I want to be guilty of convicting you. There's a difference between guilt and conviction. I've said it many times. I want the Holy Spirit of God to convict you. I don't want, you to, I don't want to make you feel bad. You say, preacher, we're talking talk about a lot of different things, but I'll just give you one for example and move forward here. I don't want you to feel bad if you can't come Sunday nights. I want everybody to come Sunday night, but I understand if you can't come every Sunday night. I get it, especially you folks that are long-distance people, you folks that are older, you say, preacher, what are you saying? Don't say that. I understand there's things that come up. You can't, it's hard to be, Faithful all the time, and it's the, the faithful crowd. I, I was at Evangelical Thursday and Friday night, and I, I knew everybody there, essentially. Just their very core, 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 core people. Who comes out Sunday night and Wednesday night? Just core people, and, and some of these core people can't come out. I get it. That's okay. That's all right. That's fine. But Job went from a place of honor to a place of scorn, and, he, and it happened overnight. And even though in, in, in James chapter 5, verse 10 and 11, let me quote it to, to you. Jesus spoke about Noah in the New Testament in 2 Peter 2, 5. He spoke about Job in James 5, 10 and 11. Take my brethren the prophets which have spoken to you in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Job endured. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. 
We've got the book of Job. We know how it ends. But he was living it. He was going through it. Noah went through it. He was building every day for, Lord, how long? How long? 120 years. And God, can I have some fruit? And no fruit. Nobody believed. 120 years. Sorry, God, can I have one convert? Job, can I have one person who believes me? Let's go to Daniel for just moments here, and I'm running. I want to, want to try to get to the punchline here. But Daniel, let's take a few minutes on Daniel real quickly. What about Daniel? He's a young man at this time, maybe a teenage boy, but God already identified him as a great man. We find the word eunuch in the Bible some 17 times. It's found most in the book of Daniel, the book itself. We read about the prince of the eunuchs. Now there's controversy, if you study this, the controversy I'm referring to was Daniel eunuch and was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego eunuchs. Josephus, the great first century historian, adamantly believes they were. Many historians, historians believe that Daniel and the three Hebrew children all were made eunuchs. And it's an embarrassing subject to talk about with mixed company, of course. It's an embarrassing subject to talk about and just all men. But I, I did some studying several weeks ago. We preached a message on the Ethiopian eunuch. And so I was reading on the history. I encourage you to read some history. You know, slaves outnumbered in the Roman kingdom, freeborns, two to one. Eunuchs was a very popular scourge of choice. I just, I, I don't know how to, I'll try to be kosher here. A young, good-looking boy growing up, the kings saw it, and the, the certain ethnicities saw it, they're going to be competition. You can read between the lines. We got to fix this problem real fast. Come on into the surgery table. We'll fix it in about five minutes. I know that's gross and graphic, but no doubt millions of young boys. And we think that Daniel and historians called, and even in the first century, they were they were considered monstrosities. They were considered freaks. They were laughed at. They were. Could I come into 2018? They were funny boys. Not by their own choice. Moms and poor dads and so forth, when their boys got hurt, they, they many times had turned them over to slavery and let them go through this so that they could have a quote-unquote better life and a safer life in the king's quarters and so forth. This was Daniel, the great man of God. Now some just, I don't need to interject this, if you study this out, you'll find that there's Bible scholars that say that no place in the Bible doesn't say that Daniel was a eunuch. But he was under the prince of the eunuchs. And so it is conjecture, and maybe I'm wrong. I admit that. But I'll be honest with you. I'm siding on the side that I think that Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego went through that torture for the king's sake, for the kingdom. All their life, they went through this, and they had this scourge in their life, their whole life. Schofield and Usher records that the ministry of Daniel lasted some 65, 70 years. I ask you the question, how many converts in that Babylonian and the Medo-Persian Empire? Now, we know that when we could talk about Nebuchadnezzar when he had that, that temporary uh, the seven years, of course, and where he, he acknowledged the God of heaven. But how many converts did Daniel really have? We could talk about the lion's den. He, he had a lot of enemies. 
How many converts did he have? Now I've got to summarize. It's three minutes to seven. I want to be done here in just a few moments. So let me, let me summarize what we've said in the last half hour or 40 minutes or bring to some conclusions. What am I telling you about? Noah, Daniel, and Job. And by the way, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, contemporaries of each other. All five of these men and many were in the same boat. Prophets with suffering, affliction, and patience. Died martyrs' deaths, Jeremiah and Ezekiel both. Isaiah was sawn asunder. These guys did not have major ministries, by the way. They were faithful to the Lord. And in many cases, it cost them their life. They never knew. Do you suppose Noah really understood maybe afar off? Do you suppose Job maybe understood maybe afar off? Do you think Daniel understood maybe afar off by eyes of vision and eyes of faith that someday that people will be reading about them and talking about them for thousands of years to come? These men were great men of God. And yet in their day, they were all despised. In their day, God said, if I brought them back today, they would have no converts today. We often judge successful ministries by converts, by crowds. Noah was considered crazy. Job was certainly a charlatan sinner. Daniel was a freak of nature. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. Ezekiel was the guy that sat naked, pardon my language, made cow's dung for food really happened and preached judgment. All of these men, now by the way, this message, let me say one more time here, is at one minute to seven, is meant to be an encouraging message tonight. <laughs> but all of these men, no doubt, through their life, for many years of their life, they felt like ministry failures. They were mocked. They were laughed at. Behind the scenes and to their face, Daniel, He's, he's one of those boys, you know. Huh? Well, he's one of those Jewish boys, too, to top it all off. Nice little boy that he is. Mocked him. Job. Yeah, oh, yeah, he's a righteous man. All right, that filthy rich guy finally got what he deserved. Noah, that crazy guy out there. He's still built that boat 50 years later, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years later, 110 years later, 120 years later. He's still preaching that same crazy message. Judgment's coming. Ah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. You know, sometimes we can feel like our ministries have not meant much, that we haven't had too many converts. Sometimes we can ask ourselves, if we're not careful, Satan can whisper in your ear. And I know this can happen because he's whispered in my ear. Is it worth it? I, none of you, well... <laughs> Oh, boy. No, you know what? I'm going to dig a hole. I, no, I, you know what? I'm not even going to go there because let me, let me just retract that. Let me just move forward here. All of you are wonderful people. I love you to death. Amen. I was going to say something along this line here. The ministry can be taxing. If you try to get in, people, a lot of people don't want to get involved in ministry because it's, it's, it costs. There's expenditure involved. And there's time and effort, and, and you're helping people that in many cases seem to don't want not to help themselves. And you say, what am I doing? We say, is it worth it? 
Even the best prophets of God, even the greatest servants of God, Noah, Job, and Daniel, three examples. And Ezekiel and Jeremiah, two more examples. Even the best prophets of God get discouraged from time to time. Hey, cheer up. If you get discouraged, you're, not, you're in good company. It happens from time to time. In times like these, we need a savior. But much of their ministry, they saw no visible results or very few converts. I mentioned this morning, and I'm wrapping up here. It's a phenomenon. I said it 48 times in the last 52 weeks, but here's 49. I don't have funerals anymore. It amazes me. I used to have funerals like every other week as a younger preacher. I'm not exaggerating. I got a diary to prove it. Nobody, get, nobody dies anymore. That's my joke. Nobody calls the preacher. I had two funerals lined up four or five months ago. I mean, nobody's died in four or five months. Are you serious? Nobody cares any longer. I said this morning, I'll say it again. People are living, they're living their whole life without God. They used to insert God in at the end, at the end of their life to you know, get prayed into heaven maybe. They're not even doing that anymore. They're, they're living without God and they're dying without God. God says don't even pray for them. Man, that's tough. But I want to give you the punchline of the whole story. Noah... Daniel and Job did save themselves and they saved others and here, here, here in their lives for the record, and this is something we had a hard time wrapping our head about, around rather. They were greater in their death than in the time of their earthly ministry. Here it is. Do you think Noah would figure out that 4,500 years later, thousands of preachers all around the world would be talking about him on a single Sunday? That people will be telling, talk, talking about the flood and talking about the great exploits of Noah, the great man of faith. Job, a whole book written about him and his life and how it's inspired and helped so many thousands of people, millions upon millions, hundreds of millions of people, hundreds of years, thousands of years after his death. Daniel, 2,500 years after he lives, now we talk about Daniel. We name our sons Daniel. Because he being dead yet speaketh. And their works do follow. Here's where we have a hard time wrapping our heads around. We're not living just for the here and now. Our ministry is not just visual, what we can see. I, I'm not trying to bring, uh, wrap it up here, bring, bring, come down for the landing. Here we go, let's get it over with. I'm trying to bring attention to myself, but I always say I know myself better than anybody else because I live with myself every day, 24 hours a day. So I was at Evangelical on Thursday and Friday night for the third time. I can, well, I'll name her name. Pam. Pam says to me, she had sitting next to a man, stranger man that I'd never, I'd, I'd never met him before until Thursday night. And uh, she introduced him, and, and then Pam says, he led me to the Lord. And I said to myself, in fact, then I said it out loud, I says, I did? I don't even remember doing that. But then she kind of jarred my memory Remember over, in fact, I just passed her house in Winstead yesterday, come to think of it. Her dad was a judge, a probate judge. Witness to him, that was a million years ago. Well, a million years ago in Marty Shot vernacular, 28 years ago. I forgot all about even talking to Pam about the Lord. And I, I to God be all the glory, I understand that and you understand that as well. But God used me, and I forgot all about it. 
I think in heaven we'll be reminded forever and ever and ever. We'll shine as the stars of righteousness forever and ever and ever. And nobody will jackhammer our star of fame out of the streets of gold, by the way, like they do over in Hollywood when they don't like you anymore. He being dead yet speaketh. And I want to, I end with this here and we, we close here, but Moreover, it's required in stewards, it's required in prophets, it's required in laymen, Christian laymen, in this, these last days of Noah that we're living in, to be found faithful, not flashy, not famous, not filthy rich, not uh, uh, flamboyant, not funny, not, but that we be found faithful. There's a reward for those that are faithful, God promises. God will bless you if you'll just remain faithful to him. I don't know what our days ahead will be, but I trust that God will bless in great days. And uh, I'm still planning on, on seeing our church grow and have, have many more people come in than we've uh, had coming in. But uh, whether we grow or whether we don't grow, we're going to be found faithful to the Lord. And all God's people said, amen. amen. And you're going to be found faithful. Keep on keeping on, even if your family doesn't, you keep on serving God. Heavenly Father, help us to constantly abide. Jesus is coming again. We sing it this morning, Lord, and Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. One day, Lord, we'll sing, it will be worth it all. Or maybe we'll sing, it was worth it all. I wish I'd given you more. Lord, I pray you'd bless in our just moments of reflection tonight. Lord, bless these dear, dear people, Lord. I know they love you. Help us love you more, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Page number two, how about page two? Let's go to that. Can we just sing? It's, I think it's just... Uh...